Welcome to the Apple of Truth. I'm Lena. And I'm Vero. And since we're still a Neil Gaiman podcast, we're covering another one of his movies today. It's Coraline. Oh, Caroline. And you listen, Caroline. It is a movie that I hadn't watched before until we did our live watch. Available only for our amazing patrons. And I still have not read the book. I, of course, have read the book. I've watched the movie many times, many years ago. But once again, there will be another, uh, just one, episode for just the book. Sure, just one. Well, mm-hmm. long-time listeners will recognize some of our classic segments. And there will be bonus material this time with our devil segments for our believers and Profit level patrons over on our patron, which is patreon.com slash DAOT podcast. And to start us off, I will dive into a probably ridiculously long facts and fun segment. Yay! Hey. <laughs> Let's delve into it. And because this is not a TV show, I don't have my usual, usual stuff, but I still have some basics I wanted to cover. So The IMDb summary for this movie says an adventurous 11-year-old girl, so now we know how old she is, finds another world that is a strangely idealized version of her frustrating home, but it has sinister secrets. Does it now? Yes. What a shocking revelation. Yes, it is a very curious summary, I feel. The movie was written by Neil Gaiman himself, obviously, and Henry Selick, who is also the director. And because this movie is the way it is, I also wanted to talk about Henry Selick for a very, very short moment. Because Henry Selick is a film director specializing in films with stop-motion animation. He has proper formal training as an animator. His first uncredited high-profile works was as part of the animation crew in the feature film Pete's Dragon from 1977. And I grew up with this movie and I loved it. I absolutely fucking love Pete's Dragon. I only know it in the German version because I was a child when I watched it. But to this day, the it's stuck in my fucking brain. I'm trying to think if I actually know it. It's with the imaginary dragon friend and stuff. I don't think I know it. That is sad. Soon we will come to things that you hopefully should know. If not, I shall fix it soonish. The young animators of that studio, Selig among them, completed a single film, the drama film The Fox and the Hound from 1981. Then many of them left the studio to pursue careers elsewhere. Selig spent most of the 1980s as a freelancer. You also have not watched The Fox and the Hound. Okay, your childhood was much less traumatizing than mine. Well, we have our uh, own traumatizing things that were not made by Americans. So Uh, just, you know, ask Neil Gaiman about Alice. Yeah, but I also had German traumatizing me plus American traumatizing me. So I got both traumas. You know? I have not seen The Fox and the Hound, no. Oh my god. Okay. Selig's big break in the animation world came when he was approached by an old acquaintance, director Tim Burton. Burton was producing a stop-motion animation feature film for Disney, but did not have the time to direct it himself and needed someone to direct and to supervise the developing process. Selig was hired as the director to The Nightmare Before Christmas. Ah! The first full-length stop-motion feature from a major American studio. You have watched that, right? Obviously. Well, you More say obviously. Once. Good. 
In 2004, Selig was hired as a supervising director by Will Vinton Studios, a minor animation studio that focused on stop-motion animation. In 2005, Will Vinton Studios was replaced by a new studio called Laika. Ah, now we're getting somewhere, right? I remember Laika. I remember complaining about the fact that, that it's called after the dog because half the people who will talk about Laika don't know who Laika is. Selig retained his position when the change happened. Laika started work on its first feature film, an adaptation of a novel by Neil Gaiman. Selig was assigned as the director of the film. Selig was reportedly necessary for the company to secure the rights to the novel because Gaiman happened to be a fan of Nightmare Before Christmas and trusted Selig to adapt his work for film. The film was a dark fantasy, Coraline from 2009. It earned about $125 million at the worldwide box office, becoming the most commercially successful film in Selig's career. Selig is reportedly working on several other projects, but has not released a new feature film following Coraline. Well, I have happened to put his name into Google just now, and I have seen a trailer for an animated movie on Netflix the other day. And turns out the same, very same movie is in his list. Which one? It's called Wendell and Wild. Oh, yeah. And it looks that like it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm pretty sure the grandma voice actress in Coraline is also in that movie. That is because correct. she has like four credits and two, one is Coraline and one is Wendell and Wild. So speaking of the cast, or maybe not speaking of the cast, because I don't know if I leave any of these bits in. Ha ha ha. I want to talk about the cast for a moment because obviously we don't have any actors, but we have voice acting happening. I mean, that's also actors. Yeah, but not in a classic sense as people are used to. And in German, at least, there is a very distinct differentiation between voice acting and acting. Okay. So, but originally Coraline was imagined as a actual live action movie. So ah. they started looking at potential actors for the roles. And Dakota Fanning, who voices Coraline, was approached to play Coraline in person. And when the change was made, she was asked if she would be interested to, instead of playing Coraline, voice Coraline. And she was very much there for it, even though she hadn't really done voice work before that. Dakota Fanning, obviously, Vero knows her from Twilight. I know her from Charlotte's Web, but she had her actual breakthrough with I Am Sam. I knew I knew her from somewhere. I just couldn't remember from where. And then I googled her and I didn't see anything that I actually seen. Twilight. Thank you. Obviously, now I know she is one of the twins. She's Jane. Yes. Yeah. Charlotte's Web, another one of my kid stories that traumatized me very, very much. But how oh well? I heard about that one. Oh, you also haven't watched that one. Great. <laughs> just making a long list of shit that I haven't seen. Yes. Then, of course, we have Mother, and Mother is voiced by Terry Hatcher, and she voices the actual mom, the other mother, and Beldam, so all of them. And Terry Hatcher is, of course, mostly known for Desperate Housewives, where she's Susan, and The New Adventures of Superman, where she is Lois. Mm hmm. The father is voiced by John Hodgman, who I super fucking randomly came across in an episode of Community that I rewatched. Like, literally, the episode I watched before I did my notes was the episode of Community he's in. So that was yeah, like, funny. wait, what? I didn't Amazing. really clock anything else that he was in, but he has quite a lot of uh, credits. So you might know him from somewhere. 
But the man, the myth, the legend with by far the most credits, of course, is the person voicing the cat. Because that is Keith David. And he has over 350 IMDb credits, so I won't even attempt to decide what he is most known for. But for me, most importantly, he was the voice of Goliath from Gargoyles. And I was very much into that. And also, I'm very impressed because man got range. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is the beauty of voice acting that you don't really, you know, have to fit into a certain box as long as you can work with your voice. You get it's more based on your talent rather than your appearances, which is such a difference to uh, real life acting to regular acting. Yeah. So, you know, it's much easier to have range when it comes to voice acting if you are a good actor, because people are not hanged up on the way you look like. Yeah, it's less superficial and more what you actually can do. And lastly, I want to mention the voice actor of Sergei Alexander Bobinski, who is mm-hmm. Ian McShane. And I only include him in this list because... He's not Russian? If or when we decide to cover American Gods, okay. we will have to talk about him because he plays Wednesday in American Gods, which is the second lead. Ah, okay, okay, okay. I see he's been in all the John Wick movies. He has been in a lot. Pirates of the Caribbean. But most importantly for us, he is in American Gods. So since that is also Gaiman, we will be talking about it at some point. So we will be coming back to Ian McShane. Okay. Well, way to give away the information, Lena. What? That's not a spoiler. We are a Gaiman podcast. So at some point, we will have caught up to Mr. Gaiman and his current process of producing stuff. And that means at some point, we will have to cover American Gods. Fair enough. Stay tuned. Okay, so those were the basics. But there is a lot of IMDb facts and funds on this. I kept most of it in the respective scenes because it works so much better. But there are some generalized information, facts and funds that I want to keep in here. But maybe we're going to throw it into the bonus because we love our patrons. And if you want more information, become a fucking patron. So let's see if this stays (laughs) in. Welcome to this fucking children's movie. Exactly. There were over 130 sets built across 52 different stages at the studios, spanning 183,000 square feet. The 52 different stages were the most ever developed for a stop motion animated feature. That's incredible. Huge. Fucking huge. The on-screen yeah. snow was made from super glue and baking soda, which I just fucking love. There were 24 different puppets of Coraline used in the making of the movie. Each one took 10 individuals and three to four months to construct. So much work. So much dedication to the details. I fucking love it. Yeah. As I said, initially, this was going to be a live action and Dakota Fanning was actually going to physically portray Coraline. When it was decided to instead make a stop motion animated film, Fanning was asked if she would still be interested in providing Coraline's voice. She said yes, as she thought it would be fun to do and grew even more excited when she saw what Coraline was going to look like. I know. What 11-year-old girl has blue hair? Coraline. Coraline's mom drives a Volkswagen Beetle, which is another reference to insects, many examples of which are seen throughout the film. During the first scene set in Corrin's bedroom, you can see that the photo frame containing the photo of her friends from back home is on a stand that is shaped 
like a praying mantis. That also links to the praying mantis tractor that the other father drives later in the film. And the wallpaper in Caroline's room, in Caroline's living room, has a bug pattern on it. Bug obviously being the prey of mother. There were a number of deleted scenes in Coraline which further developed the plot or show the characters. These include, among others, Charlie Jones serving a grotesque-looking casserole of some sort to Coraline while he talks about computer viruses, to which Coraline jokes, this looks like it also has some kind of virus. Sassy Coraline. She's funny, yeah. Sometimes. A scene in which YB tells Coraline that his grandmother is black, YB is biracial, and the sweet ghost girl who was black in the film would have been his great aunt and grandma Lova's missing sister. And an altered version of the octopus facehugger scene in which Charlie Jones breaks wind after eating pizza. This was later changed to him belching instead, most likely to avoid having any vulgar fart jokes in the film for rating purposes. <laughs> and lastly... This movie has many parallels to Alice in Wonderland and Pan's Labyrinth. A girl, bored with her real life, finds a mythical land. There is a cat that speaks and appears and disappears mysteriously, like the Cheshire Cat. The female protagonist has to complete a series of dangerous tasks. The girl's family doesn't believe or realize there is another world. And I say we can go into the movie if you want. Let's get straight into it. So we start off with the opening credits. It's a strong, very creepy start. It's an actual intro, which was very surprising to me because we're so used to not having actual intros anymore. I am not a person that likes dolls in general. <laughs> They creep me out. They're one of the creepiest things out there. I find them creepier than clowns, which is something because clowns are super creepy. Why do you have to paint your face? Anyway, dolls that look like little girls are very disturbing to me. So when we watch the opening credits and we see the needle hands refashioning the doll. I was already, this is not good. I do not trust this thing. I am with you the entire process and of course the entire idea of undoing the doll, literally yeah. stripping it inside out, turning it inside out, removing the cotton, filling it with sawdust. Also, why? Like, I feel like there must be a reason why the cotton doll gets turned into a sawdust doll. Didn't find anything on that, but very, very um, weird. Is it maybe to show the time? Because maybe when it was originally made, it was cotton and now it's more in, say, to use sawdust. I would rather expect it the other way around, but... Kind of, right? Yeah, so... But that's the only thing I could think of. I find it very interesting that we have the entirety of, like, the existing puppet being undone, being redone, and then being turned into Coraline. Because, oh, is the puppet that we see the previous dead child? Yes, it is. So Did I you think only now connect that? Yeah, because I think then you're right that it is basically in the time that Coraline lives, it might must have been more normal with the sawdust and back then it must have been no more normal with the cotton. Yes. Good point. Loving that. Taking that. Yeah, I actually did pay attention to this because as we said in our intro, we have done a life watch last week and when I was making my notes, I knew that this is going to be Coraline. So I did pay attention to how the doll looked like before when it was coming through the window. And it is actually grandma's twin sister. But it shouldn't be the twin sister because the twin sister... Is the twin sister the one that gets killed before her? Yep, because... So the other two were longer ago. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah. The other gotcha. two... It's the Victorian girl and the the kid ha, the, 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 that... No, the Victorian the boy, boy 
and a little girl in the prairie or something. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. So yes. the boy that sounds like he's straight up from Shakespeare and the girl that has a long face. Also, the boy that basically is on the ice cream picture in the living room, right? Like, it's oh supposed to be the same boy, I think. Oh, that's very possible. I didn't pay attention to that. That's very possible, though. Because I'm pretty sure that the ghost boy is blonde and he has, like, the sailor-like outfit. Mm. And so does the boy in the picture. So I assume it's him. We're making connections left and uh, right. Uh, we're not even into the actual beginning, but we're already blowing our own minds. <laughs> We are our own needle hands. Yes. But speaking of the needle hands and the whole like spider connection, everything, I know that Beldam is meant to be a spider or spider-like, but to me, her entire body shape and behavior reads so much more like a praying mantis than a spider. But then the yeah. whole webbing and puppeteering wouldn't work. So I get it. But to me, praying mantis. Mm. In a way, yes, I agree, even with the needle hands. But her outfits before she starts turning are also kind of giving spider. I don't like to think about it too much because it makes me uncomfortable, but yes. The main difference is a spider would be on all of its leg, but a praying mantis has hands, just like Beldam does at the very end in her final form. So mm. this is why I feel because she walks upright and she the, the, the two front legs are her actual arms, not actual legs. So, mm -hmm. yeah, All that right. is why I say praying mantis. And maybe that makes it a bit less bad for you because praying mantis is not a spider. <laughs> yes, praying mantis. That's what so, she is. Yeah. Good. That is all I have for the intro, aside from, of course, the fact that this is an actual intro and also the only time we get our voice actor names. They are not in the outro. They are not in the credits. Not at all. Nope. Huh. I didn't notice that. I did a lot of freeze okay. framing. <laughs> well, we are moving in. Literally. When the family is moving in. And right off the bat, we get to see the movers getting very, very stingy tip. And that means to me, either the family is poor or it's stingy. And from the behavior that we're going to see, I don't think that it's because they have the money and they don't want to give it. I think it's more likely that they actually do not have the money. Yeah, I basically did uh, indicators that we are struggling for money list and that is number one on it. But remember when I talked about Selig and him doing animation work for Disney? Mm -hmm. You cannot tell me that the wardrobe that Jerome is dragging into the house is not straight up from the Beauty and the Beast. The person-shaped wardrobe looks like fucking straight out from the Beauty and the Beast. Huh. I mean, later on it gets turned into a bug, but to me that was like, Oh, wow. Also, <laughs> on the back of the moving truck, there is a black tag, like, sprayed on it that says stop mo rules, as in stop motion rules. That's so cool. <laughs> so that was really cool. Also, damn, did Jerome and Joe do a bad job? Because inside the moving truck, you have, like, all the boxes with the arrows, mm -hmm. like, this side up. Yeah, and there is one turned upside down and smooshed together, so they packed it badly. So maybe that's another reason why they are not getting a good tip. Eh. You know? It's only one box, though. That's not that bad. I don't care. And also, another thing is where I have a question for you. There is a barn in the background that is yes. clearly visible and it is not relevant at all. It never comes up. It is always seen in the background. We never go there. It has no purpose. Why was it put there? Why do we have a barn? Is it a barn or is it a greenhouse? No, it's a barn. It has like the upper level thingy and there's like the, the wind 
chicken indicator thingy. Seriously, I'm very, very sure it's the barn. And we never go closer to it. And I have absolutely no understanding as to why. Because they built these sets. So why put the barn there when we don't need it? You know? So now I wonder if there was like a reason that we wanted it. If there was a scene that relate to it or something. Because with stop motion and building all these sets, every building is extra work. Yeah. So I simply cannot imagine them doing that without having a reason. But we never use it in the story. Hmm, that's weird. I'm trying to uh, find a still. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Huh. Maybe it's just to show that the property is actually bigger than uh, No idea. Think. It's also the first time I ever noticed it because I've watched this movie so many times. I never actually realized there was a second building. Yeah, but then when we see the house from distance, we don't really see a second. Oh, there it is. Actually. Yeah, it's always there. It's always there. But it has hmm. no reason. So I'm super, super fucking confused there. And lastly, for the moving in scene, before we go over into exploring everything, we, of course, meet the cat because he watches the movers drive away. Mm -hmm. And I had forgotten that the cat shows up this fucking early. Yeah. Because, like, obviously at the very end, he is also in the last scene. So the cat comes when we start and he leaves when we finish. Yeah. He is that important to the story. So the camera moves over and we go to basically the back door of the building and enter or rather exit Coraline, which very nice transition just of how the storytelling works. In general, all the actual scene transitions and story transitions are so well done. Like mm-hmm. every yeah. little fucking They're really, detail. really well thought through and you can tell that they are using the fact that this is not a real action movie for every single detail that they can. It's a really, really, really well done movie in that sense. Mm-hmm. It's so funny and like impressive to me how remarkably colorful Coraline is compared to everything else. Because... She's got the blue hair and she's got the yellow coat and boots. And I think like she has a reddish sweater underneath it and everything. So she is literally the definition of colorful and everything around her is washed out. It's gray. It's brownish. Like it's muted colors. Even the pink of the pink palace is a pale pink. Mm -hmm. Very worn out. But everything else doesn't even have actual color. So she is this dot of brightness and colorfulness. And everything else is trist and sad and old. And first thing she does is that she grabs a piece of wood from the bushes and she clears off the leaves and looks for water. Yes, she turns it into a dowsing rod or a divining rod. I wonder, is she playing pretend now? Because, or is it actually working for her, do you think? The thing is, this question goes for the entire movie. Is this entire thing pretend or is it actually happening no it's actually happening the parents don't see the snow at the very end that is melting on them they come back from grocery shopping so there are no spoiled groceries on the kitchen table as Coraline saw yeah well there are things that adults just don't see I know but I feel there can be made a case of all of this is play pretend. So I mean, her you using could, the, yes, as an adult. So her using the dowsing rod to find the well because she says that she's looking for the well. So somehow she must mm-hmm. know that there is a well. We don't know why, mm-hmm. but she knows it. I'm also curious who taught her about dowsing rods because neither of her parents strikes me as the person to be into that. I mean, she did have a life before she moved there. 
I wouldn't be surprised if she read about it somewhere because she seems to be quite knowledgeable when it comes to gardening as well. Gardening, but dowsing is not gardening, you know? And her parents yeah, are garden people, so... You know, it's one of those things. How do I even know that dowsing rods exist? Because I saw it in a movie, I think, or read about it in a book somewhere. Yeah, and... Caroline does not strike me as a reader, you know? Mm. Otherwise, she wouldn't be so fucking bored all the time. I think that she does read, but it only needs to be a specific kind of a thing. I would not be surprised if she read stuff like, you know, westerns or stuff like that. You know, things that would make her read about adventures because then she is so ready to jump on any adventure that she can have. Fair enough. If she were a reader, she would have books when moving and then she wouldn't be as bored as she is the entire time because she literally has nothing to do. You make an okay point. (laughs) So she heads off to find the well and she follows her wonderful divining rod and she gets stalked by the cat who accidentally knocks loose a stone and then instantly hides and Carlin gets freaked out by it. And I feel like this moment and her reaction to being scared is actually something that we see happening throughout the entire movie. She reacts to fear with anger and sometimes even cruelty. Mm-hmm. Like in the beginning, Carlin is not a nice person. She is not. She's really annoying. And also she's cruel in the way she oftentimes behaves and talks. Mm -hmm. Like she's a very classic single child in some regards. And then not surprising for certain reactions to be the way they are. Yes, of course. Like when you're scared, you lash out. Yes. Yeah. But still. So she throws the stone. We hear the cat making weird noises. She gets even more scared. And she's running, running, running. And she passes the old tractor and the apple cart. Mm-hmm. And later in the movie, when she runs, she runs exactly this track and she passes the old tractor and the apple cart. So it's really, really well done with the paralleling of the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie. Yeah. And we have the intermission kind of a thing where she is walking the same route when she's walking away from the house in the other world. Mm hmm. And she walks through the orchard and she does walk past the apple cart. But I don't think that the tractor's there anymore because that's where it falls apart. Uh, when it unravels. Mm-hmm. Also, another reason why I don't think Coraline is a reader. And that is how she learned about the dowsing rods. Because if she learned about dowsing rods in a book... I would kind of expect her to read about more like uh, divination, uh, spiritual and supernatural stuff. And then she would have to recognize a fucking fairy ring. Well, I didn't recognize a fairy ring. What? Was it supposed to be a fairy ring? You commented on it when we did the life watch. No, there's a ring of, yeah, there's a ring of mushrooms. I didn't think it was a fairy ring. It's the mushrooms growing around the well. I'm pretty sure you commented on her stepping into a fairy ring, but okay. Uh, (laughs) I don't think I would have called it a fairy ring. I, I just like, it's clearly a ring of something unnatural. But, you know, yes, I I have to say I was getting really frustrated with her because she is looking for something round and she is standing in a circle. So, like, girl, come on, use your brain a little bit. Well, she is terrified, which is why she is not acting very smart. But yes, Coraline is not the smartest cookie in the jar, no matter what the situation is. So Not yet anyway. Uh, I mean, does she ever? She makes some smart decisions, a few of them anyway. I can't think of exactly one. Is it the one where she... Ah, we'll get to it. Don't forget to point it out to me. I will. Like, I literally mark it as this is the one thing where she survives on her own without being rescued by someone else. 
That doesn't necessarily mean that's the only smart decision that she makes. Yeah, kind of. But we will <laughs> we will talk about that. And of course, now she is still terrified. And when she realizes how oh, it was just a cat, she does not get a long respite because soon more scary things happen because this rando mask wearing dude on a fucking bike shows up and drives right into her knocking her over and ripping out the branch from her hand. How obnoxious. Why? Why? Like this is the one moment where I don't blame Coraline for being an absolute dick because the way Wyborn shows up and behaves is utterly unlikable and completely obnoxious. Yep, absolutely. You know what? The mask is kind of terrifying and I feel like he is trying to scare her just for fun. But like also, no, 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 no. If they had a rapport, if they knew each other before, I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine with that. But because they've never met, this is just a wild choice on his behalf. Yeah. Like, why? 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 Why be? Why? Why be why? Exactly. But if we're with the questions as to why be why, I actually have three questions. Yeah. Why did YB's grandma decide to rent to the Joneses if she doesn't rent to families with children? This never gets answered. So Uh I want this on the question list. Yes, I agree. I want to know, where are Wyborn's parents? Dead now. What happened? Are we sure they're dead? Is he just staying there for vacation? Like, whatever. Like, we get no information on Wyborn's parents. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, why is the depth of the well relevant as to what the sky looks like when you look up? I didn't understand that. Wyborn says it's, more like a it's so deep thing. that if you look up, it looks like the sky is full of stars. It made no yeah. sense. I didn't understand it. I feel like that's a saying that must be a saying or something like that, but I didn't get that one either. Okay. Sometimes I don't get something and you're like, well, obviously, and then I'm like, boom. Yeah. <laughs> Then, of course, we get a great exit line from YB with the poison oak. Oh, yeah. Next time wear gloves. Like, that was mwah. Yeah. I feel like Coraline has not been the nicest to him. I know that we've mentioned that she lashes out when she's scared, but he's just a little boy, to be fair. Yes, did he do something stupid? Absolutely. But she's also just a little girl. Nasty. No, yes, there is. He was being a dick. Like, in this scene, I don't mind Coraline being a dick to him. She could be a better person, but... No, no, it's an eye for an eye. All right, fine. (laughs) I'll give you this one. And of course, YB fucks off and now Coraline still has to finish her mission, which is, ha ha ha, here is the well. So let's see how deep the well is. And she drops a pebble down and actually takes like several seconds until you hear the splash, which tells us mm-hmm. the well really is very, very deep, which of course is important since at the very end, this is where we drop the shit in. Yep. And IMDb tells us that when Coraline finds the old well in the first act of the film, she discovers it's in a fairy ring she previously stepped in. In Western Europe, stepping in a fairy ring can be either a good or a bad omen. Often they are seen as hazardous and dangerous places, such as the human getting trapped in the fairy realm for stepping on their sacred ground. Sometimes they can be linked with good fortune, such as a person being allowed to interact with and enjoy the company of fairies for a night. In the film, Coraline experiences both the good and bad consequences of stepping in the fairy ring. At first, she's allowed to enjoy the pleasures of the other world, fairy world. But soon she's in danger of being trapped there forever unless she fixes both her mistakes and the mistakes of the children who came before her. 
That's interesting. If you think about that, it does feel kind of like a fae story that mm. she is being taken away and children are being stolen away yeah. because the fae want attention and they want love and I mean they and entertainment. Want Babies, entertainment. So, yes, this is not a terribly bad parable. Yeah. Hyperbole. No, parable. Parable, yeah. right. So I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. It also goes for the the parents and anyone aside from YB not noticing or witnessing anything. Because YB mm-hmm. at least was present when Coraline was in the fairy ring. No one yeah. else was involved with that. So no one else sees anything or is affected by anything that has to do with the now activated fairies. <laughs> <laughs> So Coraline drops the pebble into the well. And when we hear the ploink of the water, we start seeing drops of rain coming down. And there is this beautiful transition where we are looking at Coraline. We turn over 90 degrees and she's standing behind her kitchen window. It is obviously the next day. And she has poison oak on her palm, on her hand, and she is taking out different seeds and putting them on the window. And her mom, we get to meet her mom finally. Her real (sighs) mom. Yeah. As you said, we meet the mom, and when we meet the mom, we have this conversation about that they moved here and why they moved here, and Coraline's assumption as to why they moved here. And the mom going something like that is, for me, another point on the list that Money is tight, but we didn't tell our child Mm. Mm -hmm. because they did not move here because gardening, but they moved here because it's more affordable. Seems like it. Yes. Especially since she clearly doesn't like dirt or gardening. Alas, she does like writing about it and being paid for it. She doesn't write about it. She edits what the dad writes. She's his editor. Yes. But she no, she also writes articles in it because then uh, later on when they are submitting it, she says at least the pages that I wrote. Oh, I took that as the pages that she edited for him. But okay, yeah, maybe. Maybe, yeah, good. Could be either way. One thing that also never gets explained, aside from the do we have money problems or not, is the whole accident thing. Yeah, right? Because like later in the movie, when they come back from shopping the uniform, you see the car and it has a tiny dent. So I have a question. Is it possible that they had to move because mom had to pay for, because we are in America, mom had to pay for medical bills and therefore they could no longer afford their old digs. So they have to move. Maybe. But like the car, like it's a Volkswagen Beetle. They're not the most sturdiest of car. And given the minimal damage on the car, I don't really see why she would even need a neck brace, you know? Well, it's either that unless that they had to get a different car because she totaled the first one. So that the old car is dead dead and they had to buy a beat-up Volkswagen Beetle? Yeah. We're going to put this on the list with the Mr. Gaiman, Neil, sir, what does this mean? And are the Joneses out of money? And what was the accident? And can we please have a proper backstory? Will you please write a short story? Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, good. So we are in agreement that there needs to be more answers and we are more than willing to make up our own headcanons as Piyush. Good. (laughs) Yay. I mean, that's what we do. That's our smallest contribution to the podcast. Yes. Aside from talking for hours and hours. Exactly. And hours and hours on end. (sighs) 
the list with the we don't have money is not the only thing that grows. Also, the list of things Caroline does that I do not like keeps growing because she straight up just drops the newspaper wrapping of the doll on the floor and doesn't care. And I don't know about you, but even my mother would not have let that fly. And my mother, when it comes to like uh, parenting, was one of the more chill ones. But that would not have been a thing. See, I don't know if that would have been... Oh, it would definitely not be okay. But the thing is that I never even thought of doing that. Yeah, exactly. But if you ever had done this, like it would not have remained on the floor until someone beside you picks it up. But you would have been told to yeah. pick yeah. this up and throw it in the garbage. Absolutely. Now. Absolutely. We go from the kitchen into dad's office. And before we can talk about this scene, of course, I had to do a freeze frame and write down the article that the dad is writing. Okay, let's go. Let me introduce you to the dirty world of composting for the garden. Potato peels, orange rinds, coffee grounds, eggshells, lawn clippings, you name it. Any organic garbage can be naturally processed into great garden dirt. And we who compost feel in harmony with our garden and earth. It's not uncommon, however, to run into a few hurdles when conditioning your garden beds with homemade fertilizer. Here's a few tips that will make your first composting project a green thumb experience. Let's say you plan on feeding a family of four on fresh vegetables grown in a garden plot that is 100 by 120 feet for six months. Or you want to grow 75 prize-winning rose bushes on the same plot of land. You're going to need approximately 20 cubic yards of composted something. Uh, that's it? That's it. Lovely. <laughs> well, he didn't get that far, did he? No, that's the entire space on the screen. There's not more space. Okay, isn't it curious that mom writes on a laptop and he writes on this aged up computer? Yeah, so it's clear who's the boss in the family. Yeah. I mean, obviously, when he literally asks Coraline, what did the boss say? It's made even more clear. But even the tiny things, like her having the more modern work equipment. Yes. Yeah. Though he does get the office, she has to work in the kitchen, even though she doesn't cook. He needs more space for research, I suppose, then, if she's only an editor. But if you're right and she also writes... Curious. It's a very interesting family dynamic, I feel. Yeah. Also, we have completely blazed over the uh, whole doll situation. Oh, sorry. Yes. We have mentioned <laughs> that the doll is there, but... Wrap the newspaper. Yeah. YB is the one who brought in the doll. Gave it to the mom. And mom has now given it to Curlin. And the doll looks like her. Exactly like her. Like exactly the same outfit. Outfit, everything, yeah. I was wondering at this point, if I didn't see the movie or when I was watching it for the first time, how is this possible? Did grandma make this? Is this the reason why she allowed the family to move in into the pink mansion? <laughs> nice. she just happened to have a doll that looked like the daughter and she was like, I finally, finally, the I chosen found one. The girl. Yes, the chosen one that's going to save us all. Is that the reason? Does she have needle hands? Why have we met grandma yet? You know, mm-hmm. so. Nice. Loads of questions there. I like that. I like that theory and that idea. Yeah. Yeah. But 
Alas, Coraline's reaction to the doll is, I'm too old for dolls, and then proceeds immediately dragging it around everywhere and playing with it constantly. Yeah, and also, she is not freaked out by it, which... What is wrong with you? Again, what's wrong with you? The doll looks like you. Yeah. This is not, this is creepy. Yeah, like seriously, I am really not a superstitious person, even remotely. But if someone dropped off a doll that looked exactly like me on my doorstep, I would be slightly freaked out. I would also think it's very cool, but I would also be slightly freaked out. I would probably look inside for a strand of hair. To see if it's a voodoo doll? Yeah, because that's the only thing. Unless, like, we all know that, I mean, I don't know if if all of our listeners know, but I assume you do, that back in the day, the dolls were actually made with human to hair. look like the kids, yeah. with human hair, with the hair of the child that it ended up belonging to. So, you know, it wasn't all that weird back in the day, so that maybe that's why the, the other mother got away with it for so long. But nowadays, that's not normal to have a doll that looks like you. That's not how it works. No, all the dolls come out of the factory the same way. Yeah, but it's nice when you live on the countryside and things are done the old way. So it's nice if Complete Stranger makes a doll that looks exactly no, like no, no, you of and on your front porch. But it was also very funny to me that Caroline says she's too old to play with dolls and she sleeps with a teddy bear. That is also very cute. It's very 11-year-old. I'm too old for this. Yeah. Actually, I'm not. So that yeah, was that was very cute. With the scene with the dad and also the mom, because we're jumping kind of between both of those scenes, both these interactions with both parents constantly working and looking completely exhausted, like especially the dad, mm. with nothing having been unpacked, like the mom telling Caroline that she needs to unpack, but the entire office of the dad is not unpacked. The kitchen does not look proper unpacked, like nothing in the house looks unpacked, but they are focused on working and you do not do that unless you really, really need to hit a deadline. So this, for me, again, goes on the list. We really need the money that we get for the catalog, and this is why we have to hit this deadline, because we're broke as fuck. Yeah, I agree. And even though they are kind of brushing her off and they are not really paying attention to her, yeah. you can tell that there is a lot of love. Especially, especially from, from, the, from dad. the dad. Yes. So I do love him as a character so far. And even then later on, the other dad is also kind of in my good books, let's say. The other father, despite being made by the other mother and being controlled by her, still tries and succeeds in helping Carlin. Yes. So there is this whole vibe of kindness from the parents, even though that they are very work focused and mainly that from the dad rather than the mom. The mom seems to be much more uh, task focused at the moment. But once again, it makes sense because she is yeah. the one who has to manage everything and who has to make sure that the dad is kept on the timeline. So yeah. she not only has the weight of her job on her shoulders, but she also needs to carry some weight of the dad. So she feels mm. more responsibility, which why? But I mean, yeah, it's still like a normal family and the bar is low for men. So, sadly, <laughs> yeah, I mean, she is oh, the one okay. to keep telling him that he needs to finish his pages. 
Yeah. It, it should not be necessary. But there we are. And I also, yeah. like, as much as I'm not a fan of how dismissive, especially the mom, is towards Coraline and her unhappiness in that situation, I don't blame her because when money is very tight and your children are still under a certain age, it is hard to explain it to them in a term that they understand. Mm. And sometimes it's also easier to simply be the Batman and take mm. the ire of your child instead of yeah. having them face the real world. That's the last thing you want for your children in the, the child will get over the fact that mommy was mean. But the child might not get over the fact that we have existential drama and crisis, you know? <laughs> so while I am not a fan, I think it is extremely understandable. Indeed. Well, that at least comes up with some way to busy Carlin. entertain. <laughs> no, well, not busy. Okay. Busy, busy her is, is much better expression. <laughs> yeah, to give her something to do. Yes. He gives her a notepad and says, count the windows. Count the windows, count the doors. Write down count everything, write down everything that's, that's blue. blue. That doesn't seem terrible. And so off we go and we start exploring the house. And I have to mention mm. it because every time I watch this movie, I see it and I don't know why it's there. And I know it's completely irrelevant, but I want to put it on the question list. What's up with the fucking pair of skis? <laughs> there is a pair of skis in the corner. Yeah, yeah. They are not relevant. They never come up again. We never see them again. They were handmade and placed there. Why? So because the corner looked lonely. No. So, yeah, I really want to know why the skis... Aside from that, the whole exploring scene is really cute and mostly I feel it's like exposition and it's used for us to learn the layout of the house a bit. And of course, to give her a reason to find the door, which of course, yes, she doesn't find by herself. She only finds it because the fucking doll vanishes and again, she is not freaked out by it. I don't understand what's going <sighs> on with Curlin. Like, what the fuck? Girl, girl, that's not normal. Dolls should not move. Mm -hmm. They should not look like you and they should not be moving out of their own volition. And the combination of thereof, no. It's worrying. Yeah, yeah. at the very least. I would set it on fire at this point. No, because I would be worried that I set myself on fire if I do. I would lock it in a box. No, I would open it up and see if there's a, a strain of hair of mine inside of the doll. And if there's not, it's safe to burn. Well, you could just turn it inside out. Ah, not do that. Don't do that again. No. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. No, no. Of course, we have, with the exploring, she turns off the light because the paper with the do not touch was peeling to the side. So she killed some of the work of her dad, which I don't blame her for that. I didn't realize that she has pressed the button before she came back. And so I was like, but what do you mean? Like she pulls it back on the wall and it says, don't press the button. Yeah. And she presses the button. No, she presses it. Then she hears her dad go. Arr! And then she goes in and she yeah. sees it. And then she goes like, ah! and then she moves it back to how it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that now. But when I was watching it the first time, I missed the first oh. button push. So I was so confused. It's like. But it fixed everything when she pushed the button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, she, she fixed her fuck up. Yeah. Of course, we, with the exploring, we see the happy family picture in Detroit Zoo, which, of course, mm -hmm. is also the snow globe that then at the end is the snow globe. So, woo! And she keeps commenting yeah. on stuff. Everything is boring until the doll vanishes. But this is a really cute thing to see that we have a proof that the family was happy mm. 
and they had fun and they clearly wasn't as broke as they are now. Yeah. Also not as overworked. Yes. And it's not that long ago. Yeah. Because she doesn't look like a baby. Yeah. In the picture. She looks pretty much similar to what yeah, she looks like now. would say like two years so, ago or something probably. Yeah. It also makes more sense now that Coraline is behaving the way she does because she's not used to this really. Yeah. She's not used to getting no attention and nothing. Yeah. yeah. So it is more understandable when you build it up like this. Doesn't still it's not make great. super happy seeing her behaving this way. But either way, I mean, it goes both ways, yeah. kind of. But everyone yeah. is behaving understandably. I'm still not a fan of anyone's behavior. Exactly. And so, of course, now the doll has vanished. We find the doll halfway behind the wardrobe. And so we finally find the door. And Carlin does what a normal 11-year-old child does, which is, Mom! Why is it locked? Also, did you notice that the box of the snow globes said Mum's snow globes? Yes. So Mum is the one who's collecting them, yeah. which I found interesting. She also says at the end that Carlin broke the favorite. Her favorite, yeah. yeah. So those are her things. Yep. Yeah. She calls Mum over. And she comes. And she also knows where we might find the key. And so she makes a deal. You will stop pestering me if I do this. And Carlin does the best poppy eye dogs that I've ever seen on a fucking stop motion animated doll. Because like, seriously, it's like... And it's like, oh my god, it's so adorable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we have the door. The door is being sliced open. We unlock it and the build-up is there. And then it's just red bricks. Because back when they separated the house into different apartments, they must have walled this off. So this entire house used to be one house. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense. But apparently there is... Three apartments, because we had apartment A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That seems like a reasonable explanation, right? It is. But it's also very boring. But this is all we get with the exploring, because now we cut over to dinner and bedtime. And, oh my god, I was not a fuzzy eater, but this food really looks disgusting, and I also would not be eating that. I'm sorry. I mean... How much of that is it because it was made this way or, you know, like I just feel like often in these kind of movies, the food does not look very good. But in the other kitchen, all the food looks amazing. Yes. Yes. It looks better than this for sure. There's no gelatin. There's no slime. It's gross. Yeah. This food is fucking gross. The milkshake and the cake and the bacon and the omelette in the other kitchen look amazing. But Dad sings a great song. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the song does come back later in the movie. So this is very, very adorable. But still, the food is disgusting. And while the slime is being served and Coraline is complaining, the mom once again says that she will go food shopping once we finish the catalog. Which, to me, is we cannot afford to go proper food shopping before the catalog is finished. Yep. So money must be really, really tight. Clearly. But aside from the singing, the dinner scene does not give us much more that we need. So we go to bed. And did you notice that they made a tiny little mistake with the prop? Obviously, all the props are handmade, which is why I am much more forgiving for any like tiny continuity errors. But Mm -hmm. the picture frame on the side of her bed, it has a time. It says 7.30 p.m. But the three is only there when she holds it in her hand when it's on the side the three is missing. Oh. It's a tiny thing. It's a fucking tiny thing. But... I didn't notice that though. Yeah. 
I mean, come on, I fucking freeze frame my way through this movie. I appreciate the level of detail and work that they put in there, but apparently while it was on the nightstand, the free fell off. <laughs> Amazing. Kron goes to sleep and we have things that I would call a chinchilla rather than a jumping mice, but uh, we know it's a jumping mouse. It's a mouse, yeah. Unfortunately, this is rude. I just find it kind of weird for myself because I was, in a way, I may have been an adventurous child because I was outside all the time running around. I was reading books. I was loving to read stories. I really enjoyed that part. But I would not follow a weird jumping mouse through a pilot colon thing <laughs> into a weird world. I, it just felt like Coraline is very, very brave. No, I think she is very, very stupid. Or that. Brave and stupid often goes hand to hand. Yeah, I think she doesn't scare easy, but not because she is incredibly brave. Because being brave is being scared and still moving. That is brave. Yeah. And what she is doing is not thinking. So this is why I say yeah, it's stupid. So she... Because she doesn't yes. think about the potential implications. She is only interested in the instant gratification, the instant entertainment and everything. In a way, she grows up throughout the movie because towards the end when she has to find the three missing eyes and la 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 la, she has to plan ahead. She has to formulate plans. She has to consider consequences. She has to accept consequences. And so she switches the instant gratification towards the actually understanding that there's cause and consequence and la 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 la. I think she doesn't scare as easy. But like she's easily startled as with the stalking and the noise and, and YB and everything. But when it comes to actually scary stuff, because she doesn't think about it, it's not scary. And that's why the puppet, yeah. like why the doll doesn't scare her and why she can follow the jumping mouse. Because she doesn't think yeah. about it. Also, another proof of the fact that this is a colon or some sort of a... It, <laughs> is that when she opens the door, it farts in her face. The wind blowing. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's clearly farting, obviously. I mean, also, later on, you see, like, the leftover playthings, which makes me think when Beldam eats the children, like, she eats kind of the world that she created for them, so everything gets stuck in her intestines. Her colon. So, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yes. This is canon. Can we put this on the list and go like, Mr. Game and Neil, sir, the tunnel connecting the two <laughs> worlds. It's Beldam's Colin, right? Yes. Good. 100%. Perfect. I'm, I'm going to put it on the list. That makes me very, very happy because it also means that she <laughs> enters through the butthole. Yes. Good. That's why the door is so small. We move through the rectum. <laughs> that, that we do. <laughs> and we arrive, of course, in something that looks like the normal home. And it takes a moment until Corlin realizes what is happening. But I have a question for you because... Mm. everything in that house is slightly different. You know, like the painting is different. Yeah. Some of the rooms seem different. The kitchen, of course, is so much warmer. The office of the other father, la 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 la. The snow globes are identical. Is that because they are not part of the house? I would say that it's because they are actual happy parts of Coraline's life. So there's no need to change them. Hmm. But they are, like, I'm still on the, is this real or is this not real? So... Oh, it's real. No, no, no. But yeah, I know. But if Coraline is making this up and she is currently very upset with her parents, why would she bring the snow globes into the fantasy, you know? Because they are the actual representation of the good times. Hmm. Okay. 
And this is why I think what's her face kept them as well because Beldem. there are some Beldem when I do my devils in the details it's gonna make a lot of sense why she's called Beldem this is why I think Beldem kept them around because they are familiar enough to Coraline but they are not representing anything negative in her life so uh, it is something that she's bringing with her that only brings good memories yeah but it is a connection to her original mother and so it makes no sense for Beldem to have them there you know I think it it makes better sense because it is easier, therefore, to convince Coraline that her other mother is a positive thing. That, you know, as she says, every child has an other mother. Hmm. Hmm. You know, that's normal. Let's see how it goes on. But the biggest similarity, aside from the snow globes, is that this house also isn't unpacked. Like the kitchen is warm and usable, but the house still has a lot of empty shelves and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. And we get another instance of Coraline just not thinking about things and just rolling with it because she just goes along with everything. Yeah, again, what the fuck? Yeah, but I mean, the kitchen looks amazing. Like, when she enters the kitchen, it is so warm, it is so bright. The color scheme is completely different from anything we've seen so far. I don't blame her of wanting to be there. I don't blame her for it, but what I blame her for is the fact that she doesn't question it. Well, because everyone has that. Well, that's what we hear. Yeah. That's what we're told. Yeah. But... Has anybody ever said anything like that about anything like would that? Would you talk about Berlin? your no. other mother if you ever met her? I would probably mention it to somebody. I mean, Coraline mentions it to her real mother and basically anybody who would listen to her. Once you are a mother yourself, you don't get to have another mother. I'm pretty sure. It's reserved for children. Parents don't have parents. Yes. Don't you know that? Well, in that case, where is uh, Wilby's other mother? Well, YB doesn't even have a mother, so he also doesn't get another mother. He might have another grandma. Other grandma. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, uh, no. Just no. Just not how this Yes, I'm, I'm fully convinced on this. So we meet the other mother, and she is everything that mother is, but better. Yep. She is warm. She cooks. Inviting. She's cooking. Delicious food. She's wearing makeup. She looks very well rested. Yeah. Her sole interest is her daughter. And she listens and she is... pays attention. And so now it is yeah. dinner time and Caroline is sent to collect her other father who is in the study. Mm-hmm. And here we get our first bit of really, really explicit foreshadowing with the hands from the piano because the piano yep. plays me. Yep. The other father has no agency, it seems. But of course, in the end, he breaks through the control of mother, supplying Caroline with information and even helping her at the very end. Yes. What I thought at this point is that her other father is an inventor instead of a writer. So instead of creating stories, <laughs> he creates machines. And he invented the piano because he wanted to write a song for his daughter that he loves very much. And he doesn't know how to play the piano, so he had to invent a machine that does it for him. That was my thinking. I thought because her actual father makes up songs that are bad while cooking, her other father makes up great songs with great music. Well, I didn't realize that he made up the original song, so I didn't make this connection. It works either way, but sadly the inventions are not from father, but from mother. And mother, just Mm -hmm. like in the real world, is boss. We go down to dinner. 
And you know what is most upsetting for me in this scene? What? How little food is actually eaten. And the food is so good. Exactly. Like Caroline takes one bite out of the chicken leg. I think mm -hmm. she eats one fork. She gets gravy on her plate. She doesn't get to eat the gravy. And she drinks some of the mango milkshake. That's it. That's she it. doesn't yeah. even get to have cake. Nope. I mean, she chooses not to yes, eat it. Yes, but I'm so... Like, if I saw all that food... Dude, I would gorge myself. This food looked so amazing. And seriously, a literal gravy train? A literal fucking gravy train? Choo-choo! Dude, yes. Please, can I live there? Hilarious. Yes, I don't care. She can sew buttons into my eyes if I get to eat this every day. I wish I could have a roast with mashed potatoes and gravy for dinner right now. Yes! And peas. And ooh. I'm not even hungry and I want to have this, you know? Like... I want to eat that so much. It looked so good. And I mean, the idea of the milkshake chandelier was hilarious. That was great. I do admit that the food looks good. But if literature ever taught me anything, <laughs> if I've ever learned anything from any stories I've ever seen or read, do never, ever, ever eat the food in other universes because that will mean that you will have to stay there. Yeah, which also works with the fairy ring that she stepped into and by having taken some of the food, it's already enough. She has already entered the yeah. contract. Yep, one bite of food is more than exactly. enough. It worked in the ancient Greece, it worked in the fairy world, it worked yeah. anywhere you the think. The fae are very entertaining creatures, but their rules are strict and literal. We are finished with food, but before we can finish with the food, I have to mention something from IMDb because I know nothing about this. IMDb mm -hmm. says, during the meal with the other mother, the welcome home cake features a double loop on the O in home, but not in welcome. According to graphology, a double loop on a lowercase O means that the person who wrote it is lying. There is only one double loop, meaning she is welcome, but she is not home. Oh, I know tom, nothing tom, tom. about graphology, but I think this sounds interesting and I feel it must be a deliberate choice why one O is written like that and the other O is written like that. So, yeah, curious. And for the first time forever. and not for the last time, we have a detailed close up on other mother drumming her fingers on the table, which is very ominous. And I remember when I saw it for the first time, I was like... Ah, not that I trusted her before, but now I trust her even less. And Coraline even notices. Like, it's the first time Coraline yeah. fucking finally notices something might be off. Mm -hmm. Because instead girl. of going play hide and seek in the mud, because we love mud, she says, oh no, I'm actually tired. She tries to remove uh -huh. herself from the situation, yep. which of course doesn't work. And she wants to go to sleep into her own bed. I think that's the premise. Yes. But they're like, oh, no, 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 your bedroom is all ready for you. And the bedroom is so much better because it doesn't have a water stain. Like, seriously, the state of the house, once again, Not this great. must be really, really cheap. So, yeah, but her other bedroom Can confirm. has amazing, like, everything is great. And her toys are alive with the turtle that has clothespins for feet and everything. It's so adorable. And, yeah, and obviously... Adorable or creepy? Well, I thought it was adorable. And obviously she gets tucked into bed and the other mother sits down in the chair that obviously then morphs into morning and that is the chair where the doll sits, which is 
Ooh, super fucking obvious with that. the mother the other mother is using the doll to spy on Coraline well now that you said that yes it's obvious <laughs> I mean in your defense you have watched this movie twice I have seen this movie like 20 times at least that's fair thank you thank you for giving me that benefit of yeah. the doubt I only did not reread the book recently because we had talked about doing both and I wanted to make sure that I don't accidentally refresh things because when we did the live watch I already was like oh this is exactly like the book because I was so excited so yeah oh don't worry I remember very little out of that good very good <laughs> It is the morning after and we mm -hmm. wake up sadly in the real world and Coraline is terribly disappointed in that and looking at the roof of her room I am not surprised. Listen, I get this and I also understand when her mom then says it was just a dream because yeah. I wouldn't believe me either because I'm sorry button eyes the wall is bricked up there's nothing behind the door there's not a single tangible proof that any of that actually happen. Yeah, which is also why she prepares a trap for the next night. But before we get there, we have to go through a lot of things. Because before the mom tells her to go hang out with the neighbors, basically, to get her out of the house, we have Coraline recounting what happened. And she mentions that her other father wore monkey slippers, orange monkey slippers. Mm -hmm. And that that lifts up his feet and says with a flip-flop that is blue that his monkey slippers are blue. And so I was so fucking confused because I was like, okay, is monkey slipper another word for flip-flops that I'd never heard? And so obviously I had to look it up. But I found something much better. And that is in another movie by Salik called Monkey Bone, there are actually the shoes that the other father wears. So they are directly ah. taken. And another thing from nice. another movie that Selig made, The Nightmare Before Christmas, later on when the other mother is making breakfast for dinner, she cracks an egg. And inside the egg is not an egg yellow, but the head of Jack the Pumpkin King. Wait, what? Yes. For real? Yes. Oh it's literally God, one frame. See that? Wow. Incredible. I love that. So, and apparently it's a thing. Like, apparently it's a thing that Selig did, that he would put things from one movie into other movies. That's so And those cute. two were the two instances that I found for Coraline. One from That's Monkey Bone, amazing. one from Nightmare Before Christmas. I love that. Yep. Okay, well, I did think that the monkey slippers are just a different name for flip-flops that I didn't know. Nope. So, you know. Did not find reading from anything context on did that. did not work out. So, yay. Well, after Dad makes a fun writer's oh rush joke. Oh, God. Um, he... They send her off to go into the garden and she takes her garden shears and goes outside. But they don't send her to and the I, garden, all, they send her to the neighbors. No, no, yes. But she's taking them anyway because she's going to be working in the garden because why wouldn't she? She wants to be working and in the garden, but yeah. So she comes out and first of all, that looks very fucking sharp to give to an 11-year-old kid. Do you really think they gave it to her? I mean, she seems like she knows her way around it, so I would assume that she's had them for a while. Yeah, but I feel rather that she has taken them. She used to use them under supervision back in the nicer days, but I don't think her parents gave them to her. Well, either way, she does have them. Yeah. And she finds a pile of mail. Well, she walks into it. That is not addressed to her or her family. Addressed to... Bobinski. Mr. B. 
Bobinski. The amazing Bobinski. And while she flips through the packages, she starts to realize that they smell really intense. And I first thought that they smell like bad, but no, they smell of cheese. And so she looks up and we have one of my favorite joke moments because she sees the name Bobinski on the package and she looks up. There's literally an arrow that says Bobinski there. So do you think that it was the postman delivering it to the wrong door or the postman being too lazy to walk up all the stairs? No, the postman unwilling to have another confrontation with the amazing Bobinski. That is a third option that I'm very happy with. Yeah, because the man is intense or as Caroline says at the end of the movie, eccentric. I love that. Did you see that there is a chest next to his door that says fromage from Russia? Did not see that, Mm -hmm. no. Yep. The other chest sadly has Russian writing, so I could not make out what is on it. Azbuka. On the other chest? Russian writing. What? Yeah, Azbuka is is the name for the Russian writing. Oh, I thought you were saying what was written on the box. No, no. I don't read that. Okay. So we have the whole handing over the packages, her nearly sneaking into the secret... Yes, she peeks inside the door, so we know how the inside looks like now. So then when we're going to get to see it a little bit later in the movie, we see the chicken. We see loads of different details that are then changed. So there is, for example, a table with a lamp that there is a sheet thrown over. So that's where the tent is going to be. And loads of little details that are going to be transformed. But the details will make better sense for us because we have seen the inside of the amazing Bobinski's apartment. We've seen what them so like makes that. out of it but this again is why it feels like it's all in Caroline's mind because only after she's been to Bobinski's place and to the two actresses do they play a relevant role in the other house you know well because she didn't know them so how could they play any relevant role yeah exactly but in only her, her fantasy only world. her experiences are relevant which is why i say it's well, all in her mind it is not an external evil power it's all in her brain i know you keep saying that but that can be explained away in both ways so there is no clear I'm sticking decision on this. as of so we have to have beat which is very entertaining and then of course she fucks off very quickly and he decides oh no I forgot to tell you something he jumps off the building and she holds up the scissors and we have this hilarious moment with the scissors being like half a centimeter right below his ball sack which is like damn girl yes yes nice yep that was actually slightly terrifying that was so wild but also Mm -hmm. This is once again an example of Coraline not thinking about things. A strange man that knows nothing about her gives her a warning from his mice. And despite the fact that his mice name her correctly, which he is until the very end of the movie incapable of doing so, she doesn't even bat an eye. Yeah, because he says, oh, it's probably not about you because they call you Coraline and not Caroline. Not Caroline, but it's a really weird thing. So first of all, this warning we know is legit. Yes. But how does he know that? Does he actually have mice that talk to him then? I would say so. That makes me more inclined to think that this is a reality. I would say his interesting smelling cheese has given him superhuman capabilities. Is that why he's purple? Yes. Okay, (laughs) let's go with that. (laughs) I mean, he's blue. His Uh, beads are purple, right? I was finding it very annoying that he 
kept mispronouncing her name. But it's a thing. Even though the mice... Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing, for sure. But it was really obnoxious, especially because the mice named her correctly. Yep. Just felt very rude. But everybody does it, and it is the base of her feeling unseen, unheard, uncared for. Yes, that is true. We are now finished with the amazing Bobinski. Bobinski. And we go down to the amazing actresses. And here is the first instance where I am confused when it comes to the timeline. Because when she goes down and the sisters have the whole like, oh, you're being followed. No, it's it's Caroline from upstairs. She goes, still Caroline. What does that mean? Still. How long has she lived there? How often has she told them? Well, she must have met them before. So when they start moving in, we see one of the sisters coming up on the stair. So I would assume that they introduced themselves. So uh, she has met them officially. She was introduced to them. At least to one. And they clearly, yeah, they clearly fucked up her name. That's a boring explanation. At least one of them. But it makes sense. I'm sorry. That's what I do. No, no, that's not. That's Oh, no, no. Don't you dare. Don't talk yourself. That's not what you do. No, that's a very obvious explanation. I should have seen that actually. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, there's other examples of the timeline being confusing. When we go in, did you see the posters with the Julius Caesar and the King Lear? Yes. You did not enjoy them or? It's amazing. The level of detail and the fact that Coraline sees them now explains why we get to see what we get to see later on as well. It's just like every single detail that she's experiencing has been taken into consideration when creating the other world. Yeah. Love that. So really, really love that. So did you enjoy the puns for the posters? Wait, I didn't pay that much attention to them. It's not Julius Caesar. It's Julius sees her. As in, he sees her. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know that. And it's King Lear. As in leering. As in looking lustfully at someone. Okay, this is why you have the lack of a reaction. Because you didn't catch the pun. All right. But let's talk about the fact that we have... This would be then, I assume, the first Shakespeare reference we're getting. Yes. Not the last. No. By far not the no, last. No, no, no. But yeah, I didn't notice. Yes. So, <laughs> wow. Great. Love it. <laughs> so it's not just, you know, yeah. yeah okay. I love it. Love it. It's love like, it. Excited. I read it as the two of them might have been actresses, but they were very saucy actresses. Clearly, Because yes. it sounds like... I was looking at the pictures. I mean, it sounds like the porn variation of the Shakespeare oh, God. place. Yes, actually, yes, it does. And the way the two of them then dress for the other performance and, and everything, you know? Yeah. So that's where my brain went, but my brain is also 12. Of course, the most important thing is the stuffed dogs and the angel outfits, which is so terrifying. Mm. But by this point, I'm not even surprised anymore that Caroline doesn't care. Yeah, she's just like, nah, whatever. But I feel like the basement apartment has too high of ceilings. So it the house is definitely giving me bigger on the inside vibes. Oh, yeah. And we are in reality. Obviously, for sure, it's bigger on the inside in the other world. But that makes sense. Here already, it though... It seems to be the same way, but I put this down to childlike perception. Fair enough. Everything seems bigger when you're a child. Exactly. As well. That's like exactly that. Yeah. So obviously we get the tea and we have the whole, do you want me to read your tea leaves? 
There is an IMDb fact that I want to add on to. So the IMDb says, when Mrs. Spink and Mrs. Forcible are arguing over whether Coraline's tea leaves are a peculiar hand or a giraffe, technically they are both correct. The giraffe is a hint to where the Beldam hides her parents because they are in the zoo snow globe. I say no. I say the giraffe is the tall, handsome beast. Beldam. Oh, so they're both Because right. it's not a giraffe. It is like a... When okay, you look okay, from the okay. side on, on Beldam, when she looks more like the praying mantis. So, yeah. Yes, I can I can see what you're talking about. Yeah. That's my opinion. Um, your onion. My onion? What? Opinion. Okay, good. And That's what I said, it right? took me until this time to realize that they were playing cards with the dogs and when Caroline leaves one of them actually asks one of the dogs for a specific card I don't know how that works but okay that's a thing yeah it's a thing they are both curious I find it interesting that both of these encounters are giving Caroline some real sense of danger and they are both on the money like the creepy hand and even the giraffe But like Bobinski's mice, yes. like all of that has merits. Why? How? How else would it have merit unless if it's real? Uh, or maybe she makes the story fit the eccentric people's ramblings because that is what informs her fantasy. I don't think she pays enough attention no, that's subconscious. to what's going on around that's her. That's called subconscious. Yeah, I still don't. I I don't agree. I know, I know. Let's go. But I love it. So as she is walking outside, There's fog. there is a creepy, creepy fog. Looks so good. Like seriously. And why be born? He just wants a friend. I think. Yes. He's kind of lingering around the house. He's a very lonely child. He doesn't have anybody to talk to because clearly every time there was a child around him, they could not really stay long because grandma wouldn't let them, I suppose. If we think about, if he truly does live with his grandma and grandma Then only, there simply were no children really have a lot because of around him. the grandma yeah. would not rent to kids. So he probably yeah. doesn't have many friends aside from the cat. Yeah, the cat is great though. I yeah, but him. it is kind of sad and it also explains a bit why YB is so awkward when it comes to the interactions mm-hmm. with Coraline. Not to excuse his behavior, yeah. but once again, it makes it a bit more understandable. Yeah, I think that this is the beauty of the style in which Neil Gaiman writes yeah. characters is that they are not one dimensional. They're all flawed, Nobody. But it, it, it makes sense. Yeah, n- nobody is perfect Oh, but it's perfect. We all have our own issues. And if you look at them and in our lives and the context, they do make sense. So yes, we can be assholes. We can be terrible to each other sometimes. But there is probably a reason behind it. And very, very few of those interactions, those negative things that are happening in our lives are actually meant as a malicious interaction. There are some, obviously. Also, it's not an excuse and not most of the time the intent is not relevant but the impact is relevant but it also helps to understand what the intent behind the impact was so yeah exactly but yeah it's a it's a so very game and thing yeah that's one of the reasons why we love him and and why there is just so much to talk also about also because he loves torturing us when it comes so to his skirt there's that well yeah yeah Every good writer we does. have also this as the moment where Caroline explicitly insults the cat as a wuss-puss because the cat is being carried around by YB because he doesn't like to get his feet wet. I love that, first of all. Second of all, I would like to bring a specific situation in here that happened during the Life Watch. (laughs) 
And when this scene was happening, Lena looked at me and went, what does it mean? Is that a made up word, wuspus? I have no memory of this. So I had to explain to her what a wuspus means. To explain it for the patrons. Well, I, yes, that's actually the only reason why Lena asked was so to make sure that our patrons understand exactly what a wuspus is. Yes, I get that. I get that now. I'm sorry. You are so kind. I know. I am the bestest. Now, YB does want a friend. However, he is not being a very good friend. He, as well as all the other ones, does not pay a lot of attention to Krolin. Not even enough to name her right. I mean, he calls her Jonesy, yeah, right? which is not her name. That's the nickname that he's given her. People like tell he... you what they want to be called, call them fucking what they want to be called. Yes, but when you're kids, you create nicknames for each other. Yeah, all and the at time. the end he and calls I... her Coraline. That is true. But I would like to think that this was a rather an attempt to endear her in a way, to make her feel more comfortable. Maybe not super consciously. Might have been the intent, but... but the impact is that this is yet again another person who can't be arsed to name her right. Yeah. I mean, he made fun of her name the first time they no, met. No, he made so... fun of not her name. He made fun of Co exactly. Caroline, yes. That is not her name. I had I was under the impression that he was making fun of that name because he thought that was her name. Yeah, of but... course, but it is not her name. So the making fun yeah. of Caroline doesn't hurt because it's not her name. But the fact that people keep naming her wrong is what is so grating. I find it even more insulting if somebody's gonna take the piss out of a name that is not even mine. Also, the uh, thing he said is not true for Caroline. Because Coraline is everything yeah. but not a very common name. Mm -hmm. So his stab towards having a very boring common name doesn't work. So, law. No, but he is also there with a mission, aside from annoying and stalking Coraline. He's also there to find banana slugs and needs her to take some pictures. And as grating as some of the situation is to me, the pictures are fucking funny. They are, and they even have Coraline tracking. Yes. So that is a good bonding moment. I think that moment. this was the beginning. Yeah, this was the beginning of the of a good friendship yeah. that they don't really get to develop until a little bit later. Just like the pictures. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. I'm so sorry. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was wow. great. That, Amazing. Just, I just I love came you. up with mm -hmm. that. This is also a scene, by the mm, way, where so we have the barn in the background again because I noted that in my notes. And of course, we get some more exposition that grandma's sister disappeared. And when we get that information, the cat looks at the window where the doll is leaning towards the window. Oh, I didn't see that. So the cat knows. Obviously, the cat knows. Cats know everything. They're so smart. They're magic. And evil. And nice. But mainly... What do you notice is that YB shows up to deliver exposition. When it comes to how the story works, he is the person who knows the most about the house and through whom we learn a lot of details about the history yeah. of the house, the fact that children are not allowed, yes. that he is not allowed inside the house and that his grandma is very, very strict about certain things, which again brings up to question why is she suddenly allowing yeah. Coraline's family to move in. Basically, YB is our exposition factory. Yes, basically. All right. Well, I guess that is all 
the time we have for today. Who the funk did a movie that is half an hour shorter than the previous one would still make us record this long? Oh, right. We should have known because we're us. How did we not know? Anyway, thank you for listening today and we will be back with more in two weeks. So get ready, watch the movie at least four times in the meantime because we will be going into details that you have forgotten that happened. Or that we didn't even realize, but that's why we are two people. Thank you. Bye. Bye.